I'm excited to be jumping back into the letter of Colossians. And if you have not been uh, attending over the last, I guess, nine weeks at this point, you'd be like, we never were in Colossians. And you'd be right. Uh, we uh, jumped out of Colossians on Thanksgiving and haven't been back since, but I'm excited to have us back in on a new series called Navigating Culture. This is a, a big topic, and it always has been since the first century till now, is how do Christians uh, in an increasingly pluralistic society, uh, even in the first century, how do they stay uh, focused on the foundations and the truths of Christ. And we, uh, un, not unlike uh, the first century Christians, have to do the same thing. We have to deal and learn how to interact with culture, how to stand firm in the midst of culture. And so over the next few weeks, my prayer, my expectation is that this series helps us and equips us to be able to navigate culture. In this particular sermon, uh, the title is Choosing the Right Compass. And we need to make sure that as we navigate culture, that we have the right compass in hand. As a matter of fact, uh, I have a lot of uh, navigational uh, illustrations because I'm not that great at directions oftentimes. And uh, one particular time, and the older you are, the more this may resonate with you, you know, when GPSs came out, uh, they didn't just automatically update themselves, you know. So you, after a while and after roads have been made and paved and cities popped up, uh, you'd have to take that GPS and go plug it in and update uh, the firmware inside. And, uh, you know, I was gifted a GPS. GPS, and I had no computer or nothing to update this thing. And so over a, a couple of years, uh, that GPS that I had wasn't getting me where I was going. Uh, and the problem with that was, is uh, when we have uh, compasses that always need to be changed and redirected to get us to the right place, we're never going to consistently show up where we need to be. We're always going to have problems. Well, that is a lot like society and culture. Uh, society is a lot different maybe than when you were born. Culture is a lot different uh, this year than it was four years ago. And if we follow a cultural compass, it's always asking us to update the way that we think, update the way that we make decisions, update this, change this, that's not the right way anymore, this is the right way. Wouldn't it be a lot easier if we just had a kind of compass that was never out of date? Wouldn't it be nice for us to always be able to look at a compass and know where we're going? Well, do I got some good news for you, Compass Bible Church? We have God's Word. And that is such a foundational truth of the Christian faith is that our GPS and the compass that we get to use never goes out of date. The compass that we have always points us in the right direction 100% of the time without any fallibility whatsoever. And that is the great truth. As we navigate culture as Christians, we have to stand firm on what the Bible says so that we will not, as Paul says, be taken captive, right? Be taken captive by the words and the ideas of people who do not believe in Christ as Lord of the universe. And I want you to pay attention to this sermon, particularly for this reason. Uh, because this isn't one of those easy, laid-back sermons where it just comes in your ear and you just catch it all. I mean, what we have to do is think, because that's what Paul is asking the Colossians to do, is think. Uh, when I say that we have to be careful uh, to navigate culture and not take in and be taken captive by philosophies and ideas of people who don't believe in Christ as the Lord of the universe, uh, here's what I mean. Every single person in the world, including you and me and everybody you interact with, uh, lives life through a, what we call a worldview. 
which means this, that there are these basic questions about life that everyone answers whether you like it or not. Uh, For instance, I'll help you. It's the universality of worldview. And is this, uh, where did you come from? Not where were you born, but where did we as human beings come from? Isn't that a question that every society has to answer? That is true because it's called a worldview. Uh, What about, uh, what are we here for? Okay, I get how we got here, but what are we here for? It's a question every society has to answer. Another question is, is there a God? You see what I'm saying? These are universal, general questions that every society has to answer to survive, to live, to uh, fundamentally understand what we're doing here. These are called worldview questions, and there's a number of them. There's actually a book uh, I'd have you write down and you may want to read. It's called The Universe Next Door by James Sire. Uh, He actually unfolds uh, seven of the major worldviews, or eight of the major worldviews, and also the worldview questions that help you understand where they are coming from. And the point that I'm making here is this. Uh, Everyone's speaking from a worldview. Now, not everyone's speaking from the worldview that Jesus Christ is Lord. As a matter of fact, most worldviews do not account for Christ being Lord. That is, Christ being the the exclusive means of our salvation, of Christ, uh, uh, God working in and through Christ, creating the world and making it into being. Okay, this is not a kind of uh, worldview that most people live under. So what are the implications of that? Well, the implications are this, uh, that we know because everyone doesn't believe that, because most people truly do not believe that, all the content that you receive, whether it's on TV, whether it's the curriculum that you learn in school, uh, whether it's the conversations and the advertisements you see on TV, whoever made those, whoever directed those, whoever wrote those, whoever was leading in those, wrote them with basic understandings of what they believe about how we got here. What are we here for? Is there a God? What does God want? What happens after we die? And that should at least grab your attention for the rest of the sermon so you can understand that everyone, whether they make an advertising commercial for the Super Bowl or whether they're teaching your kiddos in school or whether you're having to read a book, every single one of those has been done in a particular worldview. And that's people saying, here's what I believe about the world. And Paul has something to say. You can flip there into Colossians 2, 6 through 8 about how we ought to uh, respond and navigate culture knowing that most people do not adhere to a biblical worldview or what we would call a biblical worldview. As you're flipping there, we have to be committed to living life and navigating our life according to a Christian worldview. The problem is if we're not committed to this kind of of, of worldview, if we're not committed to navigating cultural through the Bible, there's a big chance that what we are choosing to navigate our life through is in, in direct opposition toward God. Does that make sense? Do you hear that? I mean, you have to understand, remember, you, you don't have a choice. Uh, we all work from worldview. We do, every one of us. So what you have to, have to agree with, because we all do, is we're all working from a worldview. So no matter what, when you wake up this morning, you are deciding things based on what you believe about existence in the world. That's just the nature of being a human. Uh, uh, Rene Descartes, which is not a, a Christian, not a glowing uh, uh, example of morality, but he says, I think, therefore I am. He's basically saying, the fact that I think and I have these ideas in my mind and these uh, answers to these questions, therefore I exist. And even he's working, trying to, he tried to work his way back to the most basic realities of humanity. And the most basic reality of humanity is that we exist and we have questions, and God has answers to those questions, but so does the rest of the world. And we have to make sure, as Paul is going to tell us, that we are not in odds with God, but that we are on the same page as God, and we have that through his word. Pastor Evan read it to you earlier, but I would love to uh, reread it to get us all on the same page as we begin this 
morning. So read with me in Colossians 2, starting in verse 6. It says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Uh, if you remember, if you were here a weeks ago when we were in Colossians, I actually ended on verses 6 and 7. Uh, and the importance of verses 6 and 7 is the reason why I'm reiterating it now. If you remember, verses 6 and 7 are the uh, hinge verse in the whole letter to the Colossians. So if somebody says, so what is this whole letter of Colossians about? You say, oh, that's easy. Go to Colossians 2, 6 through 7. That's what the letter of Colossians is about. And the rest of the letter unfolds that and unpacks that for us. And so what we've got to understand is whatever Paul's saying after this in verses 8 and 9, and all the way through the rest of the letter to Colossians, uh, we understand that it's talking about verses 6 and 7. And so when I'm looking at verse 6 and 7, here's what it's saying. That as we have received Christ, that is like as we've received the truth of Christ. Uh, and do you remember how the Colossians received the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Through Epaphras. You remember that? Epaphras came after he was converted by Paul in Ephesus, and he came to the Lycus Valley uh, where Laodicea was, Heropolis was, and Colossae, and he went and he spread the gospel. And so Paul is assured that these Colossians have the gospel because he knows the guy who went and shared the gospel and planted the churches there. So Paul is very sure that these Christians in Colossae had received the word rightly. Now here's a difference between the Colossians and you and me. Uh, Paul knew the gospel, the actual exact gospel that was received in Colossae. The problem is, thousands of years later, uh, you and me... We're not, sometimes you can't be sure if you heard the right gospel. Does that make sense? Paul knew that he had the right gospel given in Colossae because he's the one who discipled Epaphras to give the gospel. Well, the problem that we're going to run into, especially being a brand new church, is many of you did not get brought up under the Bible. Many of you did not get brought up on a biblical gospel. And so what we have to make sure as a church is that we're on the same page about the gospel. And so when we read this... Um, Paul is affirming them that they've received the word of Christ. Here, I'm going to encourage you uh, and exhort us to make sure, have you received the words of Christ? Do you know the gospel of Christ? Do we, how, how does one come to the knowledge of salvation? These are great questions that as you've been going to Compass, you've heard clearly and articulately that it's only through turning from our sins and trusting in Christ that one can be saved. It's not a belief and a mental assent to the truths of the Bible. It's not by good works. It's not by anything other than us realizing that we're sinful, that Christ came to pay for the penalty of our sin, that we would turn from our sin and trust in him. That is the gospel, and that's also a worldview because that tells us where do we come from? We come from God. Why are we here? We're here to give worship to God, okay? If, there's God, if there is a God, what does he want? These are worldview questions, right? What does God want? Well, he wants us to turn from our sins and trust in him that we could be eternally with him and worshiping him and honoring him in community with one another. You see what I'm saying here? I mean, it is, the gospel is, in a sense, a worldview, but it's not one of many. It is the exclusive worldview that brings us into right relationship with God. And so as we're looking at Colossians 2, 6 through 8, we have to understand that worldview is very important. And the way that we respond to culture and worldview is very, very important. Now, we have to make sure we've received the word of God rightly. That is, have we been, because it says here that as you were taught. So you need to be rooted and built up in Christ and established in the faith just as you were taught. Well, what we need to make sure is were you taught rightly? And how you're going to figure that out is by reading the word of God. 
by sitting under the teaching of God. And so when you come in here and you sit under the, the word of God being preached, the best thing for you to do is listen, take notes, and then go home and then read the Bible for yourself. Those are all good ways for you to understand and learn the Bible so that you can make sure maybe what I grew up learning wasn't right, or maybe what so-and-so said was wrong. Well, these are great ways. And even if you're in here, well, I think that pastor is wrong. Well, guess what? Go read the Bible. It'll tell you, I promise. That's a wonderful thing about Scripture in churches who want to preach the Bible. Uh, we're not here to try to be underhanded or give you something that's not there. Just read the Bible. If you read the Bible, and then when you have questions, ask them. And then you will, it, most of the Bible, 98% of the Bible is very easy, very plain to understand, and much easier to apply than the world gives it credit for. And so what our goal to do is to understand that we're rooted, that deep down we're rooted and we're built up in Him and we're established in the faith and we're abounding in thanksgiving. And so we understand, as we're reiterating verses 6 and 7, I'm not going to spend much time on it, but we ask the questions, how have we received Christ? Well, we've received Christ through His Word. If anyone's ever preached to you a gospel that didn't come from the Bible, there is no gospel there at all. And so what we've got to understand is, how have you received Christ? Well, through His Word. Okay. Uh, question, the next question is, how can you make sure you're walking in Christ? Well, by following His Word. I mean, that is what the Bible asks us to do. We need to be walking in Christ. Peripateo, meaning our life has to reflect what Scripture teaches us about God and about Christ and how we would walk after Him and live our lives based on Scripture. And that's the answer to that. How are we going to walk in Christ? Through His Word. By reading His Word. By applying His Word. And so the first thing we got to do, if we want to talk about worldview and we want to navigate culture using God's Word, we got to make sure we're doing this, and it's point number one, is you need to make sure you are grounded in biblical Christianity. There's a lot of uh, quote-unquote Christianity out there. There's a lot of people who claim Christianity and claim to be a Christian. There are cults, you do realize, that say they're Christians. Okay? You have Mormons who say that they're Christians. You have Seventh-day Adventists that say they're Christians. You have Jehovah Witnesses that say they're Christians. And we can keep going. I mean, there's, there's a lot of different cults out there that call themselves Christians that deny the deity of Christ that deny the exclusivity of the gospel of Christ. And you and I, as you know, loving and as encouraging as we may try to be, you cannot, uh, we can't put those two things together. The, the being Christian means that Christ is the only way to salvation. Being a Christian means that we believe that Jesus is God. So any cult or any belief that may call itself Christian, it doesn't believe in those two principles of the deity of Christ and the exclusivity of the gospel cannot indeed be biblical Christianity, Right? And so we have to understand that those are some ones that we may be able to classify very easily. There are also a lot of other beliefs and a lot of other nuances to what people think is Christianity that truly isn't, that is not biblical Christianity. And it's important for us to make sure we're grounded in biblical Christianity so we won't be, as Paul talks about later, uh, captivated and taken captive by these other thoughts that are not God's thoughts and biblical thoughts. And first thing we're going to do, if we want to make sure we're grounded in biblical Christianity, is we need to understand how have we received the Bible, okay? Because a lot of people have questions about the Bible, and so uh, we're not going to spend a lot of time on it, uh, maybe in another sermon, but this is a great uh, reference to jot down. Ephesians 2, 19 through 20. Ephesians 2, 19 through 20. It says here, that you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So here, that phrase just means we're talking about the church, okay? You're members of God's church. If you've turned from your sins and you've trusted in Christ, you are now part of the household of God. That is the ecclesia, the called out, those who have been sanctified and set apart. Uh, so that's who we are. Now here's how we were built. And this is important if you're following along and if you're even in Ephesians 2.20, look at this. 
It says, this home, this Christian household, this Christian family was built on the foundations of the apostles and prophets and Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, okay? Now, here's a couple of things that people want to do who do not adhere to biblical Christianity, okay? Uh, there's, there's a lot of things. I'll just give you a couple. Number one, you have people who say, I'm a red-letter Christian. And a red-letter Christian is somebody, I only believe in the words that are written in red, I mean, that's Jesus' words, if you had a Bible like that. Yeah, I only listen to the words that are written in red. None of the other stuff matters to me. Well, it matters to the Bible. It matters very much to God and Christ. As a matter of fact, in the Sermon on the Mount, Christ says that uh, not a single dot and iota and the whole laws of the Old Testament are going to pass away and, until I come back. He says, as a matter of fact, I didn't come to get rid of the law. I come to fulfill them. So Jesus is saying, everything in the Old Testament, everything that I, he was even testifying to when he was here on earth, he says, it's all God's word. He even quoted the books of Moses as scripture. And so what we've got to see is, number one, we're not just, you can't be a red-letter Christian. There is no such thing as a red-letter Christian. Because all the red letters point to the rest of the, uh, the special revelation of God called the Bible. Now, it's one of the problems. You can't, be biblical, you can't say you're a, you are a biblical Christian and I say biblical to qualify the fact that everyone who says a Christian isn't Christian. I think we learned that last week. Uh, but to be a biblical Christian, you can't be a, just a red-letter Christian. Now, there are also other people who says, you know what, I, I, I like all of it, just not that Apostle Paul. Okay, that guy, okay, everything else I will take, but just not the Apostle Paul. I, I don't like the way he talks, I don't like the way he acts, I don't like anything about what he says in the Bible. But it says that as Christians, right, we are built, the family of God was built on the foundations of the Apostles and the prophets, and Christ. So we got to understand, to be a Christian means that we were built on the foundation of the truths of the apostles, the prophets, and Christ being the cornerstone. And so there is no Christianity outside of adhering to the authoritative words that were spoken through the apostles, the prophets, and Christ. Okay? And the prophets were those who received special revelation, who wrote them down, and that we now have them in the Old Testament and the New Testament. So it took all these groups to give us what we have. Now, Christ being the cornerstone means that he's not just one of the three. He's not just the pal who just hung around. No, he's the cornerstone, which means everything the prophets and the apostles had written, even in the Old Testament before Christ had his earthly ministry, was built around the truth that Christ was going to come to save sinners, to save the lost to restore Israel. It was all built around that cornerstone, that precious stone that allowed the rest of the facility to be built. That's what a cornerstone is. And we have to understand that it's all of those things that make us biblical Christians. And we have to adhere to not 80% of the Bible, but 100% of it to make sure that we are being grounded in biblical Christianity. So we have to make sure we're grounded because the, the rest of this uh, in verse 8 is going to tell us why that was so important. Why is it so important that we're grounded in God's Word? Look at verse 8. Verse 8 says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. Uh, we got to understand that uh, because we're talking about worldviews, because you know, a lot of people who say they're Christian have never even read the whole Bible. And so it's like you know, most Christians don't even know what they believe because they don't know what the Bible says. And so as a matter of fact, we know if that's true, then we know most of the world doesn't know what the Bible says. And most of the people aren't changing and rearranging how they're speaking to you based on what your worldview is. They're speaking to you based on what their worldview is. And many people in society don't want to just speak from their worldview. They want to take you captive and bring you into their worldview. And you know this to be true going on right now. And that's why the Bible speaks to all the things that we live in right now, even today, it's so clear the Bible wants us to address navigating culture appropriately and biblically. And that's why the first phrase here in verse 8 is this, see to it. 
It's a Greek word, blipo. Blipo, okay? You're never going to forget that, all right? It's that Greek word, and here's what it means. See to it. It means this, that you're already, whatever is about to be said after this, right? Just see to it. Whatever is said after this, when you adhere to the word see to it, what you are saying is, no matter what's after this, I'm going to prepare, I'm going to be ready to learn, for the, because there's something coming up in the future that I'm going to have to learn how to navigate and deal with, so I'm going to do whatever it takes today, right this moment, to learn how to deal with that when it comes. And so when Paul's saying see to it, what he's saying is you're about to be prepared, and you need to commit to, to be prepared to respond appropriately to what's about to come. And as Christians, as we deal with worldview conflicts, we have to be prepared and ready to exercise what we have learned uh, to be able to respond appropriately to, the, to what's going to come at Christians because our worldview is different than most of the rest of society. And so we've got to make sure that we see to it. See to it what? See to it that no one takes you captive. This word captive, it's a very gruesome and a very uh, clear a picture and word picture of what that means. To be taken captive is literally this, that somebody comes and grabs you and your family, plunders you, and does, and does anything and everything it wants to do to get what it wants. It's a very vivid picture, and it's meant to get your attention. And it's meant to make you think, wow, uh, whatever that is is aggressive and I don't want it. And that's the picture Paul is trying to uh, paint for the Colossians is you got to realize, uh, you got to be prepared because uh, culture and society, they're going to they're gonna come and capture you and plunder your ideas, your thoughts, your family. They want to disgruntle everything. They want to you know, rip it all out of control, and they want you to adhere to whatever they're saying. And that's really what it means to be taken captive. If you've ever had... Uh, if you've ever seen a hostage situation, a hostage goes in and says, my rules are my rules. You don't want to follow my rules, you're not going to make it much longer. Well, that's really the exact picture that Paul is, is pointing at here in verse 8. So he says, be ready for these uh, ideas and these people in the world that wants to capture you and make you do what they want to do. And here's how they're going to do it. By philosophy and empty deceit. So let's take that word by word, uh, philosophy. Do you know this is the only time in the whole Bible that the word philosophy is used? That just, that's just for some of you Bible whizzes that just want to know little fun facts. Right? Philosophy, only time it's used. Uh, as a matter of fact, philosophy comes from, from two Greek words, uh, phileo, which means love, and, and some of you may have a daughter or a niece or something named Sophia. You know what Sophia means? Wisdom, right? Love of wisdom. Sophia means wisdom. Love of wisdom. And so philosophy just means this. It's the love of wisdom. Now, uh, in the context that we're reading here, what kind of wisdom? It doesn't specify. The reality of this kind of wisdom is this, that it's, it's just the kind that people say, I like to be puffed up with wisdom. I like to be puffed up with knowledge. It's not a particular kind of philosophy. It's just uh, any kind of love of just all the new things that are coming out. And how many people do you know uh, who have loved to know all the new things that are going on, all the new trends, all the new uh, lines of thought in society, postmodernism, neo, postmodernism, you know, uh, you know the, the Renaissance, you know, I can keep going, uh, Christian theism, nihilism, existentialism, like people, I just like to know all of it, you know, and, uh, but the, the reality is, is they don't want to act on any particular belief. What they want to do is just know and spread all the different philosophies in the world. And so, Really what philosophy does, it asks the fundamental question, what is the meaning of life? And what we have to understand is everybody works from philosophy. All right, you may not study it, you may not have studied it in school, you may not talk about it much, but you all live answering the question every day, what is the meaning of life? You go to school, why do you go to school? You get married, why did you get married? You want to have kids, why do you want to have kids? You know, just keep going. Every question in, the, in your entire life is going to be undergirded with the idea of what is the meaning of life. Uh, 
I gave you a book earlier, The Universe Next Door. It answers these worldview questions succinctly within different areas and worldviews. So if you read that book, it'll be helpful for you to lay out some basic truths of worldview and the major worldviews that you're going to encounter in our world. And the Bible here isn't particular about any philosophy, but what it's doing is condemning any philosophy and any love of wisdom that does not conform itself through a biblical worldview. And that's what we need to know there. Because when people are going to take you captive, it's going to be about some catchy wisdom, some catchy sociological uh, things that have just popped up in society that everyone's like, oh yeah, we need to deal with it that way. That doesn't ever account for the biblical truth. And we have a lot of that happening now in our culture today. And we've got to be careful that we're not taken captive by philosophy. The other word here is empty deceit. It's two, two words here, uh, and it's, they're just very condemning words, both of them. They're pejorative. They're not meant to make this seem like a good thing. As a matter of fact, uh, empty means it has no truth. It's, it's, there is no basis. There is no fundamental truth, and it's empty. And so although from the outside it looks puffed up and pretty, uh, when you walk in, there's nothing there. It has nothing that fills, uh, fills it inside with any truth. It's something we get through Scripture when we read it, uh, we get to enter into it, and it's full of truth, and it's full of wisdom, and it's full of love, and it's full of the truth of God's Word. Uh, the way that society works is like you, you look at a framework, and you're like, well, that looks pretty cool, but then you walk into it, and it's empty. It's empty because it's ever-changing. It's empty because there is no truth that bounds it to uh, objective, true, object, the objective truths of God's Word. Now, it's empty, so we just learned about empty, but it's also uh, deceitful. And so when we understand that it's without basis and it's trying to deceive you, and that is so much of what our culture is, because even if people, you think, well, they're not trying to deceive me on purpose, uh, there may be some truth to that, okay? But the fact of the matter is, if they're not trying to teach you uh, how to encounter culture through a biblical worldview, whatever they're teaching you is very deceptive. Because it's deceptive because if they're not teaching you through a biblical worldview, what are they teaching you? And if they're not teaching you the objective nature of truth and morality in Scripture, they're teaching you a subjective nature of truth that we see in culture, which is always deceptive because it's always changing and it never can maintain a consistency. So it's always deceiving because whatever they teach you today is going to be different tomorrow. So it is never based on truth and it's always going to be deceptive. Does that make sense? So we have to make sure that as Christians that we aren't taken captive by the love of wisdom and by the the empty, knowledgeless, deceitful philosophies of our culture. And there are three categories you're going to find this a lot. One of them you know really well, and two I bet you don't, okay? Uh, Usually when I say, hey, who are the people who are going to try to uh, give you uh, empty philosophy and deceitful truth? You're going to say, those really angry non-religious people that hate the Lord, right? You're always going to encounter those people, and you know that off the top of your head. Well, when I say Jesus is Lord and they look at me and they give me an angry scowl, you're automatically going to know those are people who uh, do not agree with your Christian worldview, right? And we would just call that a biblical Christianity. But that's not the only group. That's a group you need to be aware of, and many of us spend our whole lives preparing for that kind of group of people. But there are other groups of people that you need to be equally as concerned and be prepared to deal with as they are trying to take you captive with wisdom and empty deception. Uh, one is super-religious people. Okay? Uh, being super-religious doesn't make you a Christian. Right? Being super-religious doesn't make you uh, any more Christian than me being in my garage makes me a car. And so what we have to understand is, okay, when they're speaking to me, 
uh, about the creation of the world. Are they saying that God created the heavens and the earth and he spoke it into being? Or are you saying, no, so this big turtle was swimming through the galaxies and it got stuck in gravity and now this, uh, a tree grew on top of this big turtle and now we're all on top of this big turtle. Okay, that is a philosophy, an ancient philosophy of how the world was created, at least in a, in a nutshell. And the idea is this, they're super religious, right? They're religious. They believe in a religious type of ideology of the world being created, but it's not biblical, right? And it's not what God would have us believe about himself and how the world was created. And we have to know that and understand that as Christians. Uh, now, you have super religious people. What about spiritual people? Like, ah, I'm not a Christian. I'm just spiritual. How many times have you had those conversations with people? And I say, well, what do you believe about God? Well, I'm not. I don't really believe in God, but I'm a spiritual person. Well, Okay, a spiritual person that doesn't believe in God and doesn't believe that God has a purpose for our lives, uh, specifically tied to his revealed revelation, his revealed will through Scripture, is not going to give you any kind of counsel and advice and leadership that's going to lead you any closer to Christ. It's going to lead you away from him. So you're, because this is what they will do. They'll tell you, I got another way, a lot like the Colossians we're dealing with, I got another way that will lead you to fulfillment, but it doesn't lead you to God. Empty deceit, right? Empty knowledge. And we've got to make sure that whether it's the super-religious people, the spiritual people, or the non-religious people, we've got to do this, and it's point number two, that we need to exercise our discernment. You need to be sure to exercise your discernment. You remember the word captive and the word picture that I gave you of plundering, right? And I want you to imagine now with me for a minute that you were alive in the 16 and 1700s, okay? This is when piracy was at its pinnacle, especially in the Caribbean, right? You have uh, uh, people having to make sure that they're not uh, taken captive and plundered uh, in their ships as they are doing merchants, uh, as these merchant ships are carrying goods back and forth. And what we need to see is like those merchants, they had to do a lot of things, because what you may think is what they did is, well, they had to make sure they had the right compass, right? They had to make sure their ship was seaworthy, of course. They needed to make sure that the captain knew how to read navigational uh, beacons, the stars, the sky. He needed, to make, he needed to keep, and he also needed to be a good leader for his crew or they weren't going to make it very far. Uh, that is true. But what they also had to do is be very discerning. They had to understand where they should go and where they shouldn't go because there are pirates out there. They had to know uh, from a real perspective, if I go left, those people, there's a lot of pirates left. There's not a lot of pirates to the right. I need to go right. And right may be longer and more arduous, and it may, and it may make the crew more tired because there's more work to do. But if I go left, there's a hard chance that I might encounter pirates. And so they didn't have to just be discerning about how to run a ship. They had to be discerning on how they uh, maneuvered and steered that ship. And there's a lot of people in here, right? Your house, you're trying to get your house in order, which is good. You're trying to make sure that your home is a place that is loving and is nurturing and is caring and is biblical. Uh, you're trying to make sure that, that you're leading your spouse, right? All these things. But you're not giving any kind of care to where you're all going together in society. And you don't realize that if you take a right, it takes you to a completely different place than when you navigate to the left. I mean, there are a lot of philosophies here, all right, that if you're not careful, you're going to run into, and you're going to have to navigate around those, and you're either going to navigate them as they're trying to take you captive, or you're going to be navigating them as you are seeing them far away and trying to figure out, when my kids interact with this type of philosophy, how do I help them deal with that? And you're either going to do that from here, getting away from them, or you're going to have to interact with them anyway, because one day they're going to be taking your home captive and your children captive, and you're going to have to be trying to play a lot of, you know, a lot of defense to get your kids and your family and your own life away from deceitful philosophies that have no undergirding through biblical truth. And so we have to be discerning people. 
Uh, Hebrews 5, you can jot this down, Hebrews 5, 12 through 14, says this very well. And I hope this is convicting, a little bit encouraging, but just to also exhort you, Hebrews 5, 12 through 14 says, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, and it means this, that you, you're old enough, right? You've been a Christian long enough, right? I mean, you, you know what the Bible says enough. You ought to be teachers by now. But it says you need someone to teach you again the basic principles and the oracles of God. Basically, you've been a Christian long enough, but yet you still just need people to tell you, here's what repentance and faith is, right? Here's what faithful stewardship is. Here's what, here's what it means to follow uh, the commandments of God. Like, you need the basic things. But he says, as a matter of fact, at this point, you guys should be teaching other people what the Bible is saying. But you guys, you, you're, needing, uh, you're needing to be taught again, even though you've been a Christian for so long, you should know these things. And then look at verse 13. Verse 13 says, For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. You see the picture he's drawing here, right? Uh, you're not going to ask an infant baby who's taking milk to lead you and guide you and teach you much about life, right? I mean, you wouldn't expect that, nor should you expect that. And what Paul is saying is that many Christians who should be teaching other people are still those people needing to be fed, and they're not actually being super helpful in leading other people in living righteous and living and navigating culture appropriately. Now look at verse 14 when we get to the thrust of this. Verse 14 says, But solid food is for the mature. It's for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. He's saying, listen, it's, you know, the Bible, you can't be a Christian unless you understand the basic oracles of God. That is, that the only way to come to Christ is through turning from your sins and trusting in Him. Okay, those are the basic oracles of God. And they're always important and they're always fundamental to our faith. But as Christians, we need to learn uh, more than that, right? Being a Christian is not less than that. Getting to heaven is because of that. But living this life, we got to know more than that. Does that make sense, guys? And understanding the basic oracles of God, that's called milk. That's called getting the milk, okay? But if you and I want to live as mature Christians, we're going to have to do what number 14, or verse 14 says, you need solid food. And solid food is for mature people. And it's for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. What we've got to make sure that we're doing is we're taking, this is meat, right? What we're getting right now is meat from God's word. And it's saying, hey, you know, being a Christian, that's a good thing. I mean, there's a, there is no other way to be saved than through Christ. But there is a way to live and navigate this culture. And we've got to look at the Bible to speak that. And it is meat. This is meat for food to make you mature so that you can use the powers of discernment to train you to practice, to distinguish good from evil. And that means this, guys, you always have to have your discernment on. Okay, I know some of you, you work long hours, and you're, you say you're on all the time, and on Friday you get home and you whip that thing off, and you don't turn it back on until Monday. And I'm saying as Christians, as mature Christians, meat-eating Christians, we don't have room for that. All right, our discernment's on all the time. We're never off. we always on. And we have to be on, because when I go home, the world doesn't stop. Right. Culture doesn't stop. Uh, philosophies of the world don't stop just because I, I'm at home. As a matter of fact, uh, they may heighten because I turn the TV on, I'm reading, my kids may have questions. I mean, I'm living life, life didn't change. Culture's not changing. Philosophies are all out there. These empty ideas that are creeping in to take you away from the truths found in God's Word are all out there. And we have to be sure that we are uh, training our lives in discernment to constantly, you see that word there, right, in verse 15 or 14? It says that you need to make sure that you are trained by constant practice. That means there's no time to turn it off. I know, it's tiring being a Christian, isn't it? It's exhausting, okay? I, amen to that, I agree, okay? But it is a constant practice, and the idea here is to distinguish good from evil. That is our existence, is to distinguish good from evil. 
to righteous and unrighteous, to holy and unholiness, and by discerning those things, making appropriate choices to follow biblical Christianity. There's a lot of ways to do that. We do that through reading God's Word. We do that through discerning regularly. I mean, if, if, you, can, if you really have a time in your life where you say, and I don't want to discern today, or I'm tired, I'm just going to turn it off. Uh, don't do that. I mean, that's against what God says about making sure that we're constantly discerning. We've got to make sure that, it, and it's a practice. You should do this. So when you turn on your TV, whether it's at the Super Bowl or whether it's tonight or anything, flip through a magazine, read a book, whatever they say, think about it and say, what are they, where are they coming from? And when they say things on the TV, and you'll be able to do this because it, this, everyone works from a worldview. When you see a commercial, ask the questions, where does that commercial say we came from? Where does that commercial, why does that commercial say we're here? Does that commercial say something about God and his existence? Does that, does that commercial say something about what God says we're here for? Does that say anything about morality and its absoluteness or subjectivity? Does that commercial say anything about why is there suffering in the world? And that's the first phase of answering those. But you also have to know what the Bible says about those exact questions so that you can both look at them and compare and contrast and say, yeah, I can't, I can't buy that thing. Because that thing is completely against the worldview of being a Christian. You see what I'm saying? I mean, that is literally what it means to be a discerning Christian. And uh, when you're young, if you're a teen or a student in here, this, does not, this doesn't appeal to you as much as it does when you start having children. Okay? Because when you start having children, you're like, they can't discern. They don't know. And I'm like, neither do you. But you know, now you care about it because you don't want your kids doing it. You know? And so it's a great time when you have kids because you start becoming more aware and more caring about these types of things. But don't wait until you're a parent. Because at that point, you're not going to be trained in it. And your kids are going to be making good decisions and bad decisions, and you're not going to know why. Right? And when your grandparents, it doesn't get any better, because then you're dealing with your, your kids and their kids. Okay? And so I'm saying is there's room here for everybody to improve and practice their own discernment. Romans 12.2 says that we should not be conformed. Right? We shouldn't conform our lives to culture, right? to other worldviews that aren't biblical, but we should be transformed by the renewal of our minds. This isn't some spacey, super spiritualistic phrase. This means this. We have our minds renewed because we have the Holy Spirit. They're going to convict us. We're going to read God's word. He's going to illuminate it, which is a big theological word, saying if I'm a Christian, God's going to show me that the Bible has something to say, and it's going to help me apply it to my life. He's going to help me understand Scripture, then I'm going to apply it. That's what it means to have your life transformed uh, by God's word. Now, the reason this is so important a lot of reasons why this is important. There's a particular philosophy going around today that most people are aware of. Uh, and it's, it's not new, but it's new in the way that it's been wrapped. And it's this idea that the best way to uh, fit culture and to understand culture and society is to divide, uh, in our sense, to divide our church up into classifications based on race, uh, gender, uh, socioeconomics, and age, okay? Basically, it's asking us at every intersection in our lives, we should make distinctions because that's the only way we're going to be able to love one another and truly understand what's going on in culture, okay? Sounds, and, and honestly, from a secular perspective, from a secular worldview, that doesn't sound bad. I would love to know other people based on some differences that they have. You know, if they are, you know, a different race, or they're a different age, or they're a different socioeconomic, like, those are so good things, because now I can know all the differences, and we can kind of treat each other differently, because now we now know the differences and approach them in that way. Doesn't that sound attractive? I mean, all of you right now are like, yeah, that sounds like what we all should be doing, right? The problem is the Bible does not give any room for that. 
Right? And this is the, one of the areas in our world that we have to stand and say a biblical worldview says there is no distinction anymore between male and female, right? between Jews and Greeks, through Scythians or barbarians. Right? No, no distinctions anymore because we're all in Christ. Right? There is only one race. We know that as the human race. Right? There is not all these distinctions. And as Christians, we can't make distinctions based on these things. We can't. It's, it's against the biblical worldview. And that is such a good thing. Because when you sit in God's church, we all look and say, here's the distinctions. We're all sinners. We all need God. We all need to turn from our sins and trust in Christ. And once we do that, we're all part of the family of God. We're all sons and daughters of God. Do you want distinctions? There are two distinctions that Christians make in a biblical worldview. The secular worldview tells you you make distinctions at every intersection in life. In the Christian worldview, there, is, there are two distinctions. There are those who have turned from their sins and have trusted in Christ. And there are those who have not. Those are the only two distinctions in the Christian worldview. And we have to make sure that we trust and believe that and live our life according to that. Because if we do that, we understand that there's also then two things that we need to do in life. Our hope is that these people over here, these Christians, we want to help them get sanctified and mature and grow in the knowledge and the truth of God's word so they can live their lives in righteousness. And then these people over here, I'm not so concerned about their age and their gender and their race. I'm concerned about their eternal security. And I'm concerned with making sure that they understand that the exclusivity of the gospel means that they can't work their way into heaven. They can't walk their way into heaven outside of turning from their sins and trusting in Christ. And so that's why worldviews are so important. Do you see? The world's going to tell us that we can't talk to people who we're not alike or we can't understand people who aren't like us, but the Bible makes it clear that there's only two distinctions we need to make. They don't know Christ, they need to know Christ. If they know Christ, they need to walk in Christ. Isn't that great? I mean, the Bible makes these things very simple for us to apply, and we ought to apply them well. All right, that was the first half of verse 8. Go to the second half of verse 8. Uh, you're going to be taken captive, or that's the goal of the world, is to take you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. And here's a couple of ways that the world's going to do that. And this is important for us maybe to underline these. The first one is according to human tradition. Uh, and human traditions, that's a subtle way because a lot of us like tradition. Right? A lot of us, well, I like it. It's been done that way for 100 years. Let's keep it going. Okay? And that's fine. Tradition isn't always bad. But when we pick tradition over God's commandments, it's bad. When human traditions uh, conflict with God's law, they're bad. As a matter of fact, Jesus says a lot about human tradition. One area you can flip to very quickly is Mark 7. In Mark chapter 7, uh, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees in verse 5. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him in Mark 7, 5, Why do your disciples not walk according to the traditions of the elders? but eat with defiled hands. Wouldn't it be nice if they says, hey, why don't your disciples eat according to the law of the Old Testament? Which is, right, which would have been a godly thing. But that's not what they said. The teacher of the law said this, why don't they eat according to the traditions of our, of our ancestors and our forefathers and our elders? And he said to them, Jesus, in verse 6, well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites. As is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain, in verse 7, do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men? How many people have you heard and seen in the past that teach hu human traditions as doctrines of God? And we've got to be sure that we're not preaching anything, and you're not hearing anything from my mouth that isn't from the words of God. Because there is no tradition in my life worth keeping above my obedience to God. In verse 8, this is what Jesus says, You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your own tradition. And that should, that should 
penetrate all of our hearts to say, we've got to make sure that there is nothing going on in our life, even if my family's been doing it for 100 years, even if, if it's something I like, uh, if it's, you know, if God tells me that I need to, I'm going to step on some toes, all right? Uh, if God tells me I need to commune with my church family, and my church family communes on Sundays, and my family been going out on the lake for 20 years every single Sunday, uh, and that then, that tradition is then your commandment, your God. And even though God says you can't neglect meeting together with the family of God, and yet you choose to do the thing your family's been doing for two decades instead of the commandments that God actually has, that is sin. And that's against God's commandments. And it should conflict with our worldview enough to say, I got to stop. See, isn't that great to have a biblical worldview? It teaches us even the way that we recreate needs to be done within the framework of obedience to God. There's a human tradition, and there's another phrase here, which I don't want to bore you with it, but I do want to tell you that there's a difference in the interpretations that some people have with this phrase. Uh, But here's what doesn't matter. Uh, The fact of the matter, if it's an ambiguous phrase, but the application of the phrase is 0% debated. The application of the phrase, there is no question about how we apply this phrase. Uh, The only thing at speculation is what exactly were they talking about. Because although there are a lot of general philosophies and ideas that were running around in Colossae, uh, there were some that Paul was trying to speak to that used certain vocabulary, right? Remember I told you this is the only time in the Bible that the word philosophy was used? It's because Paul was trying to use words that the Colossians were using. Well, no one else was using these words, so that's why you don't see it in the Bible. And so that particular philosophy was addressed using that particular word. And so then we have this other phrase here that we see it as elemental spirits of the world. Okay? And so uh, a couple of those interpretations, I'm not going to take a long time, uh, is this. Uh, one is they're the basic ABCs of secular society. Okay, You get that, right? The elemental spirits of the world is just what the world's trying to teach you what is right and what's wrong. Uh, another uh, interpretation is elemental spirits are the demonic spirits that are, that are at loose and at large in the world. Uh, a third one that I find most compelling because of the study of the text and how uh, the text has been talking about the universe and the cosmic uh, bodies and how Christ is even Lord of all those things and had created them and subjected them all to himself, because we've read that already. Uh, when I look at this and when I've interpreted it, uh, the best fit that I can see is that they are talking about actual elements of the universe, right? Elements like earth, water, air, and fire. They're actual elemental forces. Uh, and the reason I say this is because another reason, uh, just as I exegete society in the first century, uh, you realize uh, what idols were made out of. What are idols made out of? elements, right? Gold, wood, water. I mean, the the ocean was deified, the sun was deified, the stars were deified, the moon was deified. So it wasn't only that they were uh, subjecting themselves to these elemental forces, is they were actually subjecting a sense of deity and God-likeness to these actual elements. And so uh, they were allowing uh, things like, you know, like festivals, for instance. You know how you know when a festival's coming around? You look at the moon, or you look at the stars. You see what I'm saying here? Like People looked at these things and said, oh, that helps me base the decisions I need to make today based on the sun and the moon and the stars and these festivals. You see the problem with that, right? Okay, uh, and some of you are like, yeah, that's a problem they dealt with thousands of years ago, but not anymore. We don't follow those kind of things. Uh, t- tell me your zodiac signs right now. Every one of you know your zodiac sign, don't you? You do. Why? What about, uh, has anyone in here followed a horoscope in their life? No one wants to admit to that? All right. <laughs> you get the point. What is a horoscope supposed to do? It's by your birth date, by the alignment of the skies and the stars and the sun and the moon. It's trying to tell you, here's the decisions you should make this week. Here's who you should marry. 
Oh, okay. Uh, you know, here's what you should eat, what you shouldn't eat, the mood that you should be in. Here's your personality. It's like, you're going to let the whole horoscope, the sun and the moon and the stars and the sky and the wind and the rain and all these things that tell you how you should feel and act. And so it's not so different here than it was there. But you remember when I said the interpretations might be different, but the application is the same? Here's the application. Don't do that, all right? That's what Paul's trying to tell him. Don't do that, right? Don't allow these elemental forces in the world be the philosophy and the kind of empty, vain knowledge that you follow after. It's like you are rooted and founded in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what's going to tell you how you ought to walk. You need meat. You need to send it to the teaching of God's word. Not these horoscopes, not these elemental forces in the world. And some of you say, well, what if it means demonic spirits? Well, I'm pretty sure it also means demonic spirits because anything that is an element, it is deified and, and, and causes sin is demonically influenced. So there you go for that. So I'm saying like the, the, the exact interpretation of this uh, is not as important as the actual explicit application of this text. And so I hope that was helpful for you. Uh, now, here's, and here's another uh, text that may help you understand the, uh, the uh, nature of this uh, verse. Uh, Galatians 5, uh, 4, 8 through 10. Just jot it down. Don't, don't flip to it. Jot it down. Galatians 4, 8 through 10. It says, Formerly, you did not know God. You were enslaved to those that by nature are not God. Did you hear that? You were enslaved by nature to things that were not God. There were things that you enslaved yourself to, the sun and the moon and the, the idols and the gold, you know, all these things, you enslaved yourself to them, and they were not gods. But verse 9, But now that you have come to know God, or rather, to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world? Remember elementary principles? They're again, talking. There are things that you worship, that you look to for direction, things that you look to for advice, and things you look for. Remember my generation, we had that magic eight ball, you'd shake that thing, you know, should I ask that girl out and... No, okay, or maybe ask me again later, you know, should I hit my brother upside the head? And yes, most certainly. You know, it's like, like these aren't great. But the point is, I'm not allowing elementary principles and these elements of the world to dictate decisions and wisdom in my life. I allow God's word to do that. I go to a biblical worldview and a framework to make these decisions important. And it says at the, end of, uh, at the end of verse 9, it says that you uh, can't turn it back to these worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to become once more. Don't enslave yourselves to the wisdom of the world when God's given you all the wisdom we need. It says you observe days and months and seasons and years. You see why I can interpret uh, what I, the way I did. And he's saying you're worshiping these elements. The, the, and, and we can't do that even if you think you don't worship the elements, so much of our world is based on the way that we perceive and interpret elements of the world and this month, sun, the moon, and the stars, and the sky, and all those things. And we got to make sure that we are uh, pursuing a worldview and a biblical distinction between these uh, ungodly uh, wisdoms of the world and God's wisdom. Uh, and at the end of the day, it says in the last phrase, and not according to Christ. You need to uh, not be taken captive by human traditions according to elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. Because here's what you need to know. You're going to be taken captive. Now, this is like me. It's like I'm your captain speaking, and you're going to be taken captive, okay? Uh, and this is for you to know that no matter what happens in your life, you're going to be taken captive by the world or by Christ. There is no other choice. And Christ calls us doulos, which means slave. It's the Greek word that means slave. We are slaves of Christ. And so uh, to be Christian means that I'm taken 
captive by Christ. And we want to be taken captive by Christ. We know that we're going to have a loving master who's going to care for us and take care of us and pay for our sins and ransom us into holiness and righteousness and eternity with God. That is such a great master to be enslaved to. Now, the other problem is, if you're not enslaved by Christ, you're enslaved by these other things. These other things are going to mislead you, take you down the wrong path, and lead you to unrighteousness and inevitably to its end, which is the wrath of God being poured out on the world. And we've got to make sure that we are being taken captive by Christ. And we know, okay, so if we're dealing with all these things, we talked about worldview this whole time, we've been talking about the issues with it, the, the pitfalls of it, uh, the, the conflict. So if we understand those things, we need to, number three, expect to encounter conflict with culture. Right? You need to expect to encounter conflict with culture. It shouldn't surprise you right, when your child comes home uh, with... Uh, you know, with a Darwinian evolutionary chart color sheet, and they say, look, mom, what I did, and you say, what is this? You'd be like, yeah, I thought that was going to happen, right? I mean, it's, you should expect these things to happen, and see to it, that is, prepare to respond to them appropriately. doesn't mean you go yell at the teacher, doesn't mean you scream what you don't want, it means you do this, like, you respond to it, all right? You make sure that you're out there uh, and you're, uh, see to it that your child doesn't succumb to uh, worldly philosophies and uh, deceitful, uh, uh, empty deceitful understandings according to human tradition. You see? We need to expect to encounter conflict with culture. Uh, here's the, the way that the Bible teaches us to deal with uh, responding to culture. And it says it in 2 Corinthians 10.5. You can jot that down, 2 Corinthians 10.5. Here, Paul tells the church in Corinth, we destroy arguments. Did it say we destroy people? Did it say anything about being hateful to people? No, it said we destroy arguments. Right? We, uh, we see elsewhere in Scripture that it says that our, uh, our war is not against flesh and blood. Right? And we understand that our war isn't with people. Our war is with arguments and thoughts. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. Our goal as we work through a biblical worldview is to engage with people, to engage in situations, and to engage in culture in a way where we get to destroy arguments and lofty opinions raised against one thing, the knowledge of God. Not raised against your good looks, right? Not raised against, uh, you know, maybe your intelligence. I hope people aren't questioning your intelligence, but if they are, that your goal isn't trying to defend that. You're trying to defend one thing. Any lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. Right, that's what you're doing there. And here's also what you're doing here internally. Okay? You are taking every thought captive to obey Christ. Right? Remember we talked about captivity, right? Everything's being taken into captivity one way or the other. Okay? Uh, the world's trying to take you into captivity. You're going to say, no, I'm taken captive by Christ. That's not, I'm not going there. Okay? And what you're going to say is, I also have to take everything captive. And here's how I do it. When something comes in your life, you grab that thing and you look, and you go look at Christ and you say, what do I do with this? Okay, do I keep this or do I get rid of this? And when he says you to keep it, you keep it. When he says get rid of it, we get rid of it. Every thought that enters into your life needs to be taken captive by Christ. And then you need to do with it what biblical Christianity tells you to do with it. All right, and there's a million ways to apply this. Uh, you know, I'm angry at my spouse. Well, uh, the Bible tells me I can't be angry with my spouse. As a matter of fact, I'm a husband. I have to uh, deal kindly with my spouse, okay? Uh, okay, maybe you're the wife. I don't want to respect my spouse. I'm angry. Well, the Bible says that you respect your husband and submit to him in all things, not just the things that you want. So I got to get rid of that, you know? Uh, your kiddos don't want to submit to their parents and obey them. 
and the kid grabs this sign, I'm going to yell at mom and dad, and the Bible says, yep, can't yell at mom and dad, oh, got to get rid of that, right? Or, you know, I grab this thing, uh, man, my conscience is telling me I need to be, the conscience, Holy Spirit, is telling me I need to be kind to my neighbor. The Bible says, yep, you need to love your neighbor, guess I better go do that. Do you see what I'm saying? Every single thing you do every single day should be grabbed, every thought that enters your mind should be taken captive, and it should obey Christ. Whatever Christ says to do with it, that's what you do with it. And that's how to live your life through a biblical worldview. But we've got to destroy arguments, every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. The ways you can do that, know how to navigate your Bible. There's so many people that don't even, have never even read through the Bible. Welcome to Compass Bible Church. We read through the Bible every single year together called our daily Bible reading. All right, jump on. If you haven't started yet, you're only a week behind. And so you can catch up. We're going to read the whole Bible together this year. But you've got to know how to navigate it. What book in the Bible talks about certain things? How can I learn how to deal with life? You know, marriage. I go to Ephesians. I can go to Colossians, right? When I'm talking about when there's a lot of sin in my life, let me jump into the Corinthians, you know, when I want to see, you know, I just got to know what Scripture teaches so you know where to go when you're dealing with certain things. Start memorizing Scripture. We're going to help you guys start doing that as a church. You've got to learn how to memorize Scripture so that when situations come, you can see to it that you can respond to it appropriately by allowing your life to expel and to speak biblical truth. And the last thing here is to learn about other worldviews and philosophies. I'm not asking you to become an expert, although it would be good if you were an expert at worldviews. You need to learn what other people believe. So when they say something, you can classify it. Because a lot of things you can like think, oh, that smells fishy. I don't know if that's right. But you can't classify it. Well, that's just because you don't know it, right? If you knew it, you could then classify it. Like, oh, that's peanut butter. That goes in the pantry. Oh, that's jelly. That goes in the fridge, right? I mean, you got to classify it so you know where it goes. And it's good to do that with worldview as well. Um, there's actually a Compass Bible Institute. You've been hearing about it. It's a partnership we have with the Bible Institute. Uh, and there's actually a class going on starting like this week or next week that is called Worldviews. And so we actually have a, uh, if you go to Compass Bible Church here, you can go to Compass Bible Institute online. Only you guys can do it here because uh, it's a partnership that we have. And you can learn about all the worldviews and learn how to navigate culture in a better way. This is a long commercial for CBI is what this is. But but it's a great way for you to understand and be prepared. Because here's what I mean by this. I'll, I'll use the one example of school. Okay? Uh, if you're a public school parent or you're a public school kid here, it, there's no question that you're going to be brought face-to-face with worldviews that differ from your own and different from your family and differ mostly just from Scripture. And you parents and you students have to be aware of these things. Right? When, when you're in uh, your biology class and they say that uh, God didn't create the world, we came from... Uh, a small piece of matter, and it evolved over time and became, you know, cosmic goo, and it grew a tail and gills, and we eventually slithered up on land, and then we started walking, okay? Like, we should understand that that worldview doesn't account for God creating the universe, God speaking the world into creation, right? It doesn't account for why are we here, because that's a naturalist and nihilistic view to say, well, there's, we can't hear on accident, so what we do here is of no, no concern and value to me at all. You see what I'm saying? Once we start answering these questions, the way you start deciding on your life comes very clear about what I think about society, what I think about life, and what I think about my existence. It's important for parents and, and teens especially, understand that even in public school, you're going to be dealing with this. Uh, don't think in private school that you, uh, that you don't deal with this either. Uh, just because people say they're Christians, right, doesn't necessarily mean they believe in biblical Christianity. We already talked about that. And so even though that you think your kids are safe in the Christian school, and then they come home uh, with things that don't line up with biblical Christianity, it shouldn't surprise you because you should be prepared for it. 
I remember I went to a Bible college my freshman year, and I was in uh, my biology class, and they were telling me, listen, you can put on there that the world is only so many years old, but uh, it would be easier for your grade if you just put that it was 13 or 14.7 million years old. Okay, which now, again, when I was in college, now it's a lot older than that. Remember I told you it always changes according to culture? All right, my point is, what, what they were saying is it's going to be easier for your grade if you just do it this way because if you, if you pick the biblical answer that the world may not be billions and billions and billions of years old, uh, then you're going to have to do a better job explaining that and your grade is going to be harmed if you can't. You see what I'm saying? Like I went to a Christian school my freshman year in college and we still dealt with that. And so will you. Now tell me, and I'll tell you this, Homeschool parents, even you're going to deal with this, okay? Uh, my doctor degree, which I'm going to finish someday, all right, uh, uh, is an educational ministry. And let me tell you something. There is a difference between Christian education and education that is Christian, okay? Uh, meaning this, that uh, education that is Christian means this, that if you go to a Christian school, uh, you're getting curriculum that is Christian. But are all the students Christians? No, you'd be lucky to find a Christian school where all the teachers are Christians, okay? It's just because I'm, I'm spewing facts about the Bible and about, you know, those types of things in class does not mean that I'm getting a uh, Christian worldview taught to me holistically in, in my homeschool, right? Or uh, the fact to understand the difference between education that is Christian and Christian education is Christian education the actual term is, belongs in the local church, right? Christian education is this, that you're a Christian and I'm educating you and it's called discipleship, right? You can disciple Christians, right? Is there a discipleship pathway for non-Christians? Of course, you have to disciple a non-Christian before they become a Christian, but the whole aspect of Christian education is that we're Christians and we're trying to be more holy and we're trying to live life in obedience to Christ, right? We can't expect that from non-Christians. So even if you're in a private school or a home school, not everyone's gonna be Christians. But in the church, the reason why we preach the way we do is because what we're trying to do is disciple Christians to live holiness and faithfulness. And so we got to make sure that no matter if I'm public school, private school, or homeschooled, it doesn't mean that I'm automatically uh, given this free ride from not dealing with uh, worldviews that don't align with Christianity. We're all going to do it. The thing is we have to prepare to handle it and deal with it well. Now, me and my wife, we were driving one day. I have lots of bad direction stories, okay? Uh, we were one day, and her phone was getting, her phone was getting old, and uh, she turned on her GPS. We were trying to, because I drive, so she does a GPS. We were driving, and uh, it was messing up and malfunctioning in a hundred different ways. And I'm like, okay, fine. I'm just going to turn mine on. And then I you know, put the navigation into my phone, the coordinates. I hit play. We both have them turned up loud. And hers is screaming, and mine's screaming, and we're screaming. <laughs> uh, and basically, the, at the end of the day, it's like, we have all these different GPSs trying to tell us where to go, and we're getting nowhere, okay? And maybe in your life you feel that way. Like, I just feel like there's so many things screaming at me, and I don't know which way to go. And so the best thing for me to do as a husband is say, Kayla, turn off your phone. I'm going to use the one that works, okay? And the best thing for you and I to do is to turn off the rest of these things that we've already debunked this morning, turn off those things that don't work, and turn on the thing that does. And it's called God's Word. It's called the Bible, Okay? And if we allow that to help us navigate, we can navigate culture well because we have chosen the right compass. So let us be sure as Christians that we do that this week, that we learn how to navigate culture because we're going to exercise some discernment, we're going to expect to counter conflict, and we're going to have a navigational, uh, a navigational beacon called the Bible that's going to help us do all those things. Let's pray. God, we do thank you for your word, that it is very clear, that it's very uh, applicable as your word uh, 
is meant to be. It's meant to lead us. It's meant to help us make decisions. It's meant to help us see the world as it truly is. And God, the thing I love about your word is you don't pull punches, God, that you don't uh, show, uh, you don't show partiality. It's just very clear that we're all fallen, God, that we all need you, and you have this a blessed future for those who would turn and trust in you. And what a wonderful opportunity that is, because we know here, as we're navigating culture, it's going to be hard. There's never going to be a moment to turn it off, you know, to turn off the idea that I have to practice my discernment, I have to exercise discernment, and, you know, life at times is going to be difficult and chaotic, but to know that we have this blessed hope that one day we're going to be with you, and the, the, the navigation that we're going to have is, is the light of your glory, it's going to be the presence of your spirit, it's going to be Christ on the throne, and it's going to be the Christians among each other, fellowshipping and communing together, and what a wonderful, wonderful truth. But God, help us, lead us through your spirit, that even as we get there on this side of glory, help navigate us to that point. Help navigate our lives that we can be able to live within a biblical worldview. Thank you for what you've done in our lives. Be with us this week. Help us, protect us until we meet again. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.